Peace is a subject that you hear discussed quite often these days in many corners of society. Yet it's something that we have so few examples of. We look back at the situation that the prophet's speaking of here, and there was a, certainly a situation that was coming down upon them that was fearful. The Assyrian army had disrupted every sort of stability that they could have there in what we know of as modern-day Israel. And Isaiah spoke, and spoke plainly about Judah and what would happen there as the expansion of, of uh, the Assyrian kingdom was over against the northern kingdom, and they would be destroyed. But his words were words of encouragement because he wanted them to know that that was not the end. That God's kingdom was larger than just the, the mass of area and land there in Israel. Much greater than that. God's work is so far beyond what will be reported on the news any given day. During Advent, peace is a gift that many desire but few really expect. We fear conflict and we don't want it whether the conflict is occurring in our household or occurring on a battlefield. We don't want to be involved in that. We fear during this time of year, sometimes family gatherings for the tensions that will be brought there, the conflict from unmet expectations that people deal with, or the conflict in life for the unfuture uncertainties we follow. Just listen to any prognosticator about the future, whether they're talking about business or news or politics or government, and they'll tell you the same thing. Everything seems to be unsure these days. Conflict is the hallmark of humanity apart from Christ. Peace is the gift that he gave. The gift of peace is so much more than the cessation of a disaster. It's not talking about the unpleasantries going away for a moment. No, the peace of Christ is far beyond that. It's something that gives peace to the individual first, and then that peace extends from them to the world. That peace is important. It can only be acquired in one place. Governments think they can build peace. There are people that are called peacekeepers, and they generally create more conflict than they, they solve. Humanly speaking, peace is not going to be acquired by anything we do. The first step that all humans should make is to admit we don't have the ability to create peace, but we can find the true giver of peace. So I want to think about that this morning for a few minutes. Think about what that does for us in life and why this second week of Advent is so special. Because without peace, there is nothing to look forward to. Jesus did not come into the world just to save us from hell, but to save us from ourselves and from the inability for humans to create peace. First thing I want to think about is the first two verses there talk about that God is the only fountain of peace. He's the only source that we'll ever get peace from. While this verse obviously functions as a superscription about that, and the reality is it, it states what's coming in the next few chapters, the reality to us is that that peace, that city of righteousness that we want, can only come down from Him. That city that's faithful, the city of Zion that truly will change us. I think it's unusual here that, that the prophet Isaiah doesn't say, I heard, but he said, I saw. Now, there's such a difference in seeing something than hearing it. 
he was able to envision in a realistic manner, literally observe the peace that God was going to bring. He understood fully and totally what it was. It was a vision of heaven. The reality is we've got to look around this world and know that, that peace will never be maintained. It will always be a situation that's untimely and upsetting and aggravating. This is the significance of Advent. Christ did not appear as the most glorious king. He didn't come into the world that way. I mean, if you look at this beautiful nativity here that we have before us, understand that Jesus did not come as a conquering king. He came in a low, lowly fashion to reach out to mankind, to not seem unattainable, but to be one that they could reach. The blind saw him and the deaf heard him. The crippled stood up and rejoiced. Jesus came in an accessible way for us because he loves us. He didn't come just to fulfill his Father's will. He came out of the love from the Godhead for all of us. God didn't just create humanity for fun. It was not just a day that they thought, we'll just do this. Creation was a supreme gift and a mighty act. God wanted us to choose to love Him. Yet He had to give us that choice, knowing that we could also choose not to love Him. And in giving that, man fell. We fell deeply and greatly. We fell far from God. It's just like when a family gathers together at Christmas. You can almost look, and I love Gina's image of the pictures. I've seen pictures before where there would be a large family gathered together, and they're making a photograph, and you could tell who in the family was the greatest distance away from the family. The one that's staring at the ceiling or looking at their feet or just wishing it were over with. I, uh, one picture I remember very well of my aunt and uncle and their children. My uncle's looking at his watch. And my aunt said that was very apropos. He was always concerned about getting out of anything he had to do with the family. The reality is sometimes we move far from God even in his house. You could be sitting here today. and You've been able to sing. You've been able to stand. You, you may have even given uh, as the offering plate came by. But you're not here to worship. You're somewhere else right now. You're out hunting somewhere, or you're away on a business trip you're planning in your head, or, or you're building that second home somewhere in your mind, and you're not here with us. Now, the sad truth is, now, we, I don't know that. I can't look at you and tell where you are, but God does. Very keenly does he know where you are right now. He knows if you really love him. He knows if you're living for yourself or for him. And he's very concerned about that. He's not concerned about whether or not you're dressed properly or if you wore the right colors or you're behaving in the correct way. Not at all. God wants to know if you're here worshiping and worshiping him. And during this Advent season of peace, we've got to understand that, that true peace will never come until we in our hearts have peace. Peace with our family, peace with our neighbors, peace with those that we've had conflict with in the past. Nothing's more frustrating than have someone be at conflict with you and then not come and settle it. 
Some people enjoy battle. I, in a number of years ago, pastored a church that was very near one of the forts in Atlanta, Fort Gillum. And we had a number of soldiers there. And we had not only officers and people that served in administration, we had actual soldiers, battlefield soldiers. And you could look in the eye in some of those soldiers and you could tell that, that that's what they live for. The fight had eaten its way into them till it changed them. A psychologist that attended my church that worked for the U.S. government and, and the Department of Defense told me that battlefield soldiers, by and large, divorce before they grow old. Many of them die before they could ever reach retirement. And it's not that they're killed on the battlefield, but they're killed in their minds because somehow they let the battle take them over, the, uh, the, the, the sense of the anger and the violence with that. They can't build a wall of separation. He told me this one day, and it meant so much to me. He said, Pastor, I don't think any man should ever be allowed on the battlefield unless he's first a soldier of the cross. Blood-bought and sold out to Jesus because otherwise he will not survive these battles. They will eat him alive and destroy him. During this Advent season of peace, we need to understand that the lack of peace will destroy all of us. It's deadly and it's dangerous. This period of time that, that Isaiah is speaking of was a time of great turmoil. They knew what was about to happen. And yet, here he is describing a situation talking about Mount Zion. Talking about the exaltation of the temple. And yet in the midst of that, what he's really discussing is not so much the temple, not at all. What he's discussing is the Lord's house. Now I want you to notice a difference here because a lot of people get confused about this. Going to temple was a time that they would go and study and find out about God. They'd go to sacrifice and give to God what, what they believed was His. And then many people would leave there and forget about it. That was evident by the time that the New Testament opens in that season when the religious leaders were just that, religious leaders. They were not spiritual men. They didn't lead people to God. They carried on the acts of the temple and the tabernacle. And after that, they didn't care. People were religious, but they were not followers of the true and the living God. But what the prophet Isaiah is speaking of here is not just the temple, but he's speaking of God's house. That worship is more than just going to a place and, and giving your offerings of your time, your talent, and your time, but it's a thing of living your worship. Because this speaks of the Lord's house in such a beautiful way, in such a poetic way. God desires that His people will transcend mere formal celebrations of peace, to have His peace rule in their hearts. That's what He wants. You know, in heaven we'll gather together as a family. We will be with Him. We'll, we'll worship by being with Him in His presence. We'll see the splendor of God. We'll see the beauty of Jesus. We'll experience in a realistic way, and our worship will be totally and absolutely in tune. That's what God wants. 
that mountain of the house of the Lord will be established. It will rise above all other mountains, not meaning it will be the tallest mountain at all. I've, I've been to Switzerland several times, and, and one time that I was there, and I've shared this with you before, a, a, a dear minister friend of mine, an Anglican priest from, from uh, London, was there. And he was trying to explain to me about seeing God's will and, and how frustrating it can be when, when your eyes are blind and you're frustrated with where to go forth. And he took me up to the side of the mountain that we were on in, uh, uh, above Igla, Switzerland. And the fog was so thick you couldn't see anything, couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And we walked up this trail and we were sitting about 4.30 in the morning on a bench looking forward. And he began to open a Bible and he tricked me. He began to read some verses, and he talked about God's will becoming very plain. And he said, it's as plain as the nose on your face. It is plain as the mountain in front of you. And I looked up, and there was the Matterhorn, as if it had been pushed into my face. I didn't see it before because it was covered over by that fog. The fog that, that was thick, but the fog that couldn't hurt me. The fog that I could gently feel but the fog that couldn't do damage, it interfered. What fog comes between you and the vision of God today? What influences your blindness or your distraction? What takes away your peace when the peace is just right out there, but something is interfering with that? God desires that His people have that peace. He wants to be exalted with honor. He wants you to have that. He, he's not going through this simply to say, this is who I am. But He loves you. In the land, the Canaanites had been there for many hundreds and hundreds of years, and they had built up what they call the high places. And they would heap up stones, and, and you would ride along a plane, and you'd see something 40 or 50 feet higher than everything. And that was the place that they would go to, the high places that they'd sacrifice, their pagan sacrifices. The reality is, God will exalt His hill far above all others. And if we will listen to Him, and if we will follow Him, we'll be changed. His high hill will stand before all others. Only one mountain will remain to be worshipped upon. You know, this miracle began 2,000 years ago at Pentecost, and it moves forward now through all the gloomy disaster of COVID, through all the frustration and the anxiety of what's going on in the world. God's work goes forward. The glory of Christ revealed at Advent is more substantial than anything that this world considers important. And we've got to learn that today. Down in South America, there is a statue like no other statue. It's called the Christ of the Andes. It's an impressive symbol of peace. Once Chile and Argentina were enemies and they fought constantly, but when they brokered a peace, they wanted it to last. And in order to establish that, they went up on that high hill and they built that gigantic statue of Jesus spreading his arms out, one to Chile and one to Argentina. At the base of that statue, the inscription says, Sooner shall these mountains crumble into dust than the Argentines and the Chileans break the peace sworn at the feet of Christ, their Redeemer.
What a great statement of peace. What a reminder and a rock to place there in that spot. But the reality is no peace comes without Him. Only through Him will you gain that. You know, Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And that's who we are as Christians. But lastly, I want you to realize this. It's very important. Our peace will only occur through the purpose of God. Not our purpose. Not having Him come along. Not, not God being our co-pilot. But Him being our pilot, our substance, our strength, our director, and everything. On May the 14th, 1948, the state of Israel proclaimed their independence. And five Arab nations attacked them in support of the Palestinian Arabs. There was a battle that everybody said would last just a few hours. And, and this new state, less than 24 hours old, would be destroyed. But alas, they didn't understand the state of Israel. And they certainly didn't read the Old Testament prophecies. No, it was God's will for them to be established. And there on that day when that battle began, an amazing thing happened. That little nation that was just barely moving alive won. They defeated all their enemies, wiped them out and moved them out of their land, and they, they gained their territory and they've kept it to this day. And they've continued to have brokered peace elements back and forth between Lebanon, Egypt, and Jordan, and Syria over, over that time. 37 agreements have been signed since 1948. None of them have stood. None of them. It amazes me with that, the reality is this. Peace will never come to the Middle East until the king of peace is there. That land doesn't belong to men, it doesn't belong to history, it belongs to God. He proclaimed it and he established it. And until his son survives coming into the world and shows his strength fully, then there'll be that peace. The baby came in a manger to die for the sins of the world. But when Jesus comes back again, he will be a conquering warrior with all strength. He will defeat the foes of God and he will establish righteousness in that place. You know, the pilgrims will not be content with gathering information about God. Their intent is to be a part of what God is doing. And we are part of that pilgrimage. Not just to the Holy Land, but to the Holy One. God wants us to be there with Him. The strongest apologetic we have is that God is a God of peace. And if He is present, peace rules in our hearts. We can be in the middle of conflict. We can be in a, a country that is at war. There was a time when I was young that we were at war with Vietnam. There was a time before that we were at war with Korea. There was a time before that we were at war with seemingly everyone. But now we are at a war with ourselves in America. We are a divided nation. Unfortunately, the church has not done its work fully and totally. The church's goal was to absolutely give everyone the opportunity of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And yet, some years ago, we pulled away from that. We sent missionaries everywhere, but we neglected here. It's time for us to focus on our own land again. 
Because unless we do that, we will never see the cessation of war in our own homeland. It's terrifying on a battlefield far away for there to be swords and spears. It's more terrifying when people are dying on your own street and in your neighborhood. We don't want that to happen. And the only change for that is not more law or more laws. It's not more law enforcement, but it's having the hearts of mankind changed to come back to Him. Some years ago, I read a story by columnist Deborah Mathis. She wrote about a time when she was in Union Station in Washington, D.C. She walked into that gigantic monolith of a station, and she said there were noises everywhere around there. It was Christmas time, and, and, and there were scores of pagers and beepers and walkie-talkies and cell phones, and people were yelling. There was a group of woman, women fighting on one side of the room. On the other side, she said there was a man who she didn't think he even had a mind. He was walking in a circle, just screaming. There were children running loose. There was, there was constant confusion everywhere. And in the middle of all of that, a woman stood over in the corner of Union Station all by herself, and she stood up, she folded her hands, and she began to sing. She said, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And then she went on, and she said, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And about the time she hit that last line, it got silent. As she went into the next part of the song, suddenly people were singing along with her. They were turning and facing her. You would have thought there was a flash mob, but there wasn't. She was sitting in the corner, coming back from the funeral of her best friend, and God had inspired her, be a force for peace wherever you are. And she said that she said to God, she said, how can I be a force for peace? I'm a little old lady. I can barely get up and walk across the room. And she said very plainly, the Spirit of God whispered in her ear and says, you still have a voice? Use it. Dear people, your voice makes a difference. It, it will make the quarreling women stop. It will make the loud children cease their noise. It will make confusion disappear. It will open up the hearts of the coldest people. For it said that a man walked up to her and said this, That was so nice, dear lady. I didn't believe in Jesus, but now I'm beginning to think that I need to know Him. No, none of you will be Henry Kissinger, neither will I. Brokered pieces don't, don't last. They always fall apart. Sometimes they fall apart before the cameras stop flashing. But you place the peace of Jesus Christ in the heart of a man or a woman or a child, and their life changes forever. And that's why the Advent season of peace is so important. For we celebrate the Prince of Peace. And may He be the most important thing in our heart in this day. Let us pray. Father, I thank You so much that You love us with such an unsearchable love, one that we can't describe, one that we cannot escape, one that we cannot ignore. 
That love grabs us and never lets go. And that love continues to change us 50 years into our walk with you. Father, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that they've felt that season of no peace, of frustration, of anxiety, and they need the Prince of Peace, may today be the day of salvation for them. May they they come close to you, and it can be done so simply right now where they sit. They can embrace the living Christ in a simple prayer of confession of sins and, and acceptance of His gift of salvation. Their life can change forever and always just by that decision. Father, I pray that you would speak to someone today. And God bless them as they make that choice. Lord, if there's one here that needs to come forward and join this church or come forward for baptism, I pray that your spirit would guide them and that truth would transform them into what you desire for them to be. Lord, I pray that peace would not escape us, even today, and that we could have the peace of God in our hearts in all that we do. And I pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.